This episode of the Chef's Manifesto podcast has been made possible by GIY. GIY is a social enterprise that educates people about food sustainability through media projects and food growing campaigns. GIY believes in food empathy, that people who grow some of their own food become inspired to eat more plants, buy more locally and seasonally, and reduce waste. Through their urban farm, their cafe and office, and through Grow HQ, which is also the home of the Chef's Manifesto Irish Action Hub, GIY mobilises citizens, communities, chefs and companies to take simple but powerful everyday food actions that progress the sustainable development goals. Join their mission at www.giy.ie or follow them on Instagram at GIY Ireland and at grow underscore HQ. We the chefs, we the chefs, are working together to create a better food future. I am George, Andy, Tom from Nigeria, Switzerland, Los Angeles, London, India, New Zealand. Ingredients are medicine. Ingredients are superpowers. Food is joy. Food is love. Food is life. Hello and welcome to the Chef's Manifesto podcast. I'm your host, eco-chef Tom Hunt, a columnist and author of the new sustainability cookbook, Eating for Pleasure, People and Planet. In this episode, we're looking at how to support the people behind the foods we eat, our farmers. Martin Luther King said, before you finished your breakfast in the morning, you've depended on more than half the world. 200 million people work in agriculture and on fisheries for their livelihoods. These people are often the most marginalised and poverty-stricken, yet we depend upon them to eat. Today we talk a little about how we can do that, the need for fair pricing for our food producers and how this leads to more delicious food. In this episode, I'll be talking to chef, author and activist Pierre Chiam about the steps he and many others are taking in trying to alleviate world hunger. But first, I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Michael Alegbadi, a Nigerian chef educated in the United States and based in Lagos. I chatted with Michael at the Eat Forum in Sweden last summer. Michael dedicates his energy to learning and rediscovering indigenous ingredients and cuisines around Nigeria. In Lagos, he opened Itan, a test kitchen which tells the story of Nigerian cuisine through the usage of locally sourced ingredients with the application of both ancient and modern culinary methods. I was born uh, and raised in Nigeria. I grew up in America where I went to college and then eventually went to culinary school. Um, and decided to work at some of the restaurants around Chicago, California, New York, with chefs that I really respected their philosophy. Um, As recent as four years ago, I moved back to Nigeria uh, because I saw a lack of representation in our cuisine. I saw a lack of representation in the way that uh, people spoke about African cuisine. Um, I saw a mis perception of Africans and African cuisine Um, and rather than just complaining about it Mm -hmm. I I thought I'd be the change in the world that I want to see so this is why one of the reasons I'm here to share our story as as an African uh, who really really loves African food and have spent a lot of time doing research on what it means to experience Nigerian food specifically 
That's so inspiring. I'm just sitting here and I can't wait to hear your stories. I was reading your biography earlier and you were at 11 Madison Park for a period of time? Yes. Wow. What was that like? Daniel Hume is a very, very inspiring chef. Um, his philosophy of farm to table and experiential dining experience really, really influenced the way I looked at my cuisine um, and being able to use a dining experience to tell a story about a culture was very, very impactful. What you're saying is, as a chef, you're a storyteller. Exactly. And earlier you mentioned to me that you uh, were looking to rediscover different ingredients from around Nigeria. Could you tell us a little bit about that story and why you're doing that? Mm -hmm. So I'd been out of Nigeria for over 10 years. um, And when I moved back, I realized how little I knew about Nigeria as a whole. I knew a lot about Lagos. That's where I grew up as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about Nigeria where it, people who grew up in a specific place, they might travel globally, but we don't travel around Nigeria. So I realized a lot of the stories I was telling before I moved back was a story of Lagos and the Yoruba people, which is just one of the ethnic groups of over 300. Um, and I thought if I really wanted to understand Nigeria as a whole, I needed to go to those places. So I started traveling around uh, the different indig- uh, villages and regions of Nigeria, um, exploring the cuisines, cooking with the grandmothers, listening to stories, um, cooking with the cooks that cook for the kings for generations. And I, I found so much beauty, uh, so much undiscovered, so much that I didn't really affiliate as Nigerian food. Um, I, I realized in that journey that I was, I was part of the people that I was trying to change um, and that I wanted to share with the world. I wanted to share those experiences um, with everyone, including Nigerians. What, what's a dish that you learned on that journey? Is there a specific ingredient you discovered or a dish that you, that you learned from someone that you'd like to tell us? Definitely. In this travel, there are a lot of... I discovered so much unique spices and ingredients. And one thing that really resonated with me that I thought, you know, why isn't the rest of the world experiencing this? is a dish called pepper soup. And pepper soup, unlike what the name suggests, it's not just peppers in a, in a broth, and it's a pepper soup. Um, it's an amalgamation of over 13 different spices, bark spices, seed spices, um, that come together uh, in a broth. Um, either it can be a vegetable pepper soup, chicken pepper soup, goat pepper soup, fish pepper soup. It's pretty much intensifying the flavor of whatever you have in the dish. Apart from that, those ingredients, those spices are so rich in micronutrients and fatty acids, uh, minerals that are really, really, really good for you. And a lot of people have pepper soup for wellness, and but it's also just very, very good. It's very tasty. A lot of the seeds are smoked prior, so you, you get this smoky notes, umami nuances in regardless if it has any protein or not. And one thing that is very important, um, I think, about things like that when you're introducing it to the world is seeing, as Chef Manifesto, we, we can see the different ways that 
those people who are growing the seeds, who are growing these barks, who are growing all of the spices that come together to make something great can be incentivized to make more of it so the rest of the world can experience. And this is what it means to invest in livelihood. These people have been doing it for generations and their story have not been heard. And we're in a situation where, you know, people are looking for more things to do with vegetables. People are looking for different ways to experience different um, indigenous plants depending on their region. And having those spices that are already so rich in minerals create a different flavor profile that really merges well with what they have um, can be something that really, really adds to the culinary uh, story of Nigerians and also how the rest of the world see us and our cuisine. It's really interesting to hear you talk about these various indigenous ingredients that people are growing that not everyone has heard of, like in Lagos or, or, or around the world, and how you can, as a chef, bring those ingredients into the limelight. One thing I find really interesting about the Sustainable Development Goals is this focus on food security and on people's livelihoods and them being able to feed themselves through growing their own produce. Because obviously we're moving towards this well, 2050 and a population of 10 billion where we need to feed the world. But I see the solution in the people's hands and them being able to feed themselves through these ingredients that you're talking about. So it's amazing that you can help repopulize these ingredients so that people in Lagos are eating them too, because then you're helping the livelihoods of these farmers. Exactly. And yeah, for me, that's really inspiring because we're chefs, mm-hmm. but actually all of our food comes from farmers. Mm-hmm. And so they're, in my eyes, the real heroes. So have you met any farmers on your journey discovering these ingredients? That's one of my main focus when I travel to these regions. I go to the farms where a lot of these ingredients are being grown and to just see how dedicated they are to you know, the, the best um, Oziza, for instance, you know, they have... What's Oziza? Oziza, Oziza is it's like our Nigerian black pepper. And they would have them in different states. They would have the fresh one because the fresh one has like this very floral, uh, peppery notes to them. Then you have the different stages. You have the fermented one. Then you have the dried ones. And you use those different uh, states of Oziza to make different things. Can you give us an example of the fermented Oziza and mm-hmm. the other one? What would you use a fermented Oziza in? So the fermented Oziza is something that they would blend into a soup, like a viscous soup, like if you were making edikaiko. Edikaiko is a, a local spinach soup. So you would want to have that little tang to, to the soup and you would uh, spice and tang, and that would give that, those notes to the soup. The really fresh one is used in fresher preparations of, like, if, if they were making a fresh form of pepper soup where they didn't use as much uh, bark spices, they want a cleaner note to the soup. They would use the fresh oziza. Um, and then you have the dried ones that they would use in different preparation. They would use they would grind it to use to roast fish. They would use it in suya spice. They would use it in pretty much anything they wanted to add that those notes to. I feel like I want to get hold of those recipes to start <laughs> learning how to cook them. Definitely. Do you think I could get the ingredients back in the UK? 
Yes, um, a lot of these ingredients are in the UK. They are in uh, African stores. So actually, the last time I was in London, I went looking for some ni- local Nigerian ingredients, and I found some stores, West African stores, that carried them. Amazing. Yeah. Well, let's let's exchange recipes after this. Let's do. Have you got any ingredients that you can share with us today? Definitely. Um, I have with me calabash nutmeg. You can primarily find this um, Cross River region uh, that borders Cameroon in Nigeria. Calabash nutmeg, if you give it a smell, it's this very rich, earthy, smoky tree um, seed spice that is used in so many different things um, in Nigeria. And if you smell it, it almost smells like bacon. Wow, yeah. <laughs> it has it is, floral it's notes. sweet, it's floral, yes. it's smoky, it's all of those things. And it's got this incredible appearance as well. It's kind of like, well, they look like beans, but they've got this kind of, um, well, perforated shell, haven't they? Exactly. And you have to break into that shell to get into the actual spice itself, as you can see right here. Wow. Yeah, so that's the spice you would use. They smell so aromatic. Yeah. And it is, it's very similar to, to the nutmeg that we'd have at home. No, not at all. Not even the same family. Really? Okay, yeah. because it does smell similar. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously far more complex. Mm-hmm. But nutmeg, nutmeg's such an interesting spice anyway. So this exactly. is not even the same family. No. But would you use it in a similar way? Or? No, not at all. Because we don't really have a dessert culture in Nigeria. So I, I, f- I think nutmeg primarily would be affiliated with uh, desserts, uh, and it doesn't grow indigenously in Nigeria. We use it primarily in savory dishes because uh, you smell it now and it has a complexity. The moment it gets into a sauce or a broth uh, or even as a dry rub um, that then gets heat added to it, it brings out so many of the essential oils out of it and it, it, it becomes even more complex. Wow. I mean, at home, I would uh, make, I'd add nutmeg to rice pudding. If I was going savory, it's great with spinach or mm. chard or even in a bechamel. I guess you wouldn't be making a bechamel <laughs> in Nigeria, w- or would you? I don't know. What What's another dish that you might add this to? That's Would you add it to spinach dish? or? Well, th- talking about something similar to a bechamel that we added to, we added to ofensala. Ofensala is a white soup. Um, that is thickened with yam, and this is one of the main ingredients for the for the spice. Sounds so delicious. Yes, I can't wait to visit. Looking Thank forward you so to much. It. My next guest is a chef, author, and activist who moved to America from West Africa to pursue a degree in physics and chemistry. But during a stopover in New York, all of his money was stolen. Instead of giving up and flying home, he found work at a restaurant in the West Village, which quickly saw him pursuing a different sort of chemistry. In 2001, he opened his first restaurant in Brooklyn and has never looked back. He's the author of three groundbreaking cookbooks and a leading advocate for world hunger alleviation. Pierre Chiem, welcome to the Chef's Manifesto podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. Such a pleasure. Where are we speaking to you from today? From New York City. So, Pierre, you've been paying homage to traditional West African cuisine in your career with an endless passion for culinary traditions. What motivates you to spread these traditions and popularise traditional, often forgotten ingredients? Different sources of motivation. The first one is just living in New York City, which is the food capital of the world. 
and mm -hmm. I, you know, I've been working here for almost three decades. And at the time when I started working in kitchen, there was no nothing representing African cuisine, especially the food where I'm from, which is I knew was just had a place in in, in the world's table. It was just unbelievable that a city like New York didn't have a proper African representation, African food representation. So that was my first motivation. Secondly, the, the need to share, really. I re always wanted to, to share, to, to somehow contribute. It was a way for me to contribute, sharing my, my food culture, you know. It's Senegalese food and West African food in general is, is amazing food culture. We have this, this way of sharing the food, eating together around the bowl. You know, the, the ingredients that we use, not only nutritious, they are they're delicious, you know, and there's just this whole desire to, to, to empty that void and share it. And, and uh, knowing, knowing that New York and the rest of the world was, was ready to, for, that, for that message, you know, in need for that message, really. So basically, uh, that's really what motivated me, just the desire to share, to, to give back. Uh, I received so much in the food world and I thought I could give somehow some of my, my tradition, my culinary tradition. Amazing. So what's your restaurant called and what, what are some of the dishes you might serve on the menu? My New York restaurant is called Teranga and Teranga means hospitality, which is a, a wall of words. Hospitality is kind of a loose word, really. It's like, it's really the way you treat the other. You know, in Senegal, when you come to a household, they offer you the best of what they have and usually it's food. You arrive to a house when there is a, at lunchtime, even if you're not invited lunch or dinner time, there's always an open house invitation. Like it's really you are invited and you are expected to, to also come and eat because we have this, um, this belief that, you know, when you share the food, your bowl or your plate will always be plentiful. So you come and, and eat, even if you're not hungry, just have a, a spoonful of that. So to get back to my menu at the restaurant, I present ingredients that are mostly sourced from, from farmers in West Africa. I have a, a grain called fonio that I've been championing for some time now. So I serve fonio in a salad with roasted beets and spiced pickled carrots. I serve jollof fonio. I also serve a fermented cassava couscous that's known as acheke in Cote d'Ivoire. So I serve this fermented cassava couscous with roasted salmon. And the salmon is roasted with uh, spices inspired by the Moroccan charmoula, actually, with uh, pickled red onions or tomatoes. Uh, I serve uh, grilled chicken yasa. Yasa is a dish that's original from south of Senegal. It's a caramelized onion confit with lime and a scotch bonnet. So it's really like very uh, interesting because the flavors that you get from the yasa sauce, you have the acidity from the lemon, you have the sweetness from the onions that's been caramelized, and uh, you have the heat from the scotch bonnet, and all that is served over rice. Or plain for you, oh. you know, and uh, you know, it's, it's really I can go on and on, but all those dishes are inspired by traditional dishes from West Africa. We have dambe, for instance. Dambe is a is a country food in 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 South Senegal as well. It's like black eyed peas and sweet potatoes and okra. Pierre, you're making me so hungry. I can't wait to visit <laughs> your restaurant. So you mentioned Fonio. I've heard of you because you're a champion of this incredible grain. I'd love you just to tell us a little bit more about it and why it's good for the environment and also how you established your Lele Foods. First of all, it's a grain that's amazingly great for the environment. It, it grows in poor soil. 
It grows in the the south of the Sahara Desert, this region called the Sahel in West in West Africa, and it's a resilient grain that's been around for five thousand years. We're talking about what could be the oldest cultivated grain in Africa. In addition to all these uh, environmental um, um, benefits, it's also nutritious. You know, Ponyo is a gluten-free grain that has a two amino acids, cysteine and methionine, which are important for human growth. And they are most, for most grains, most major grains, those amino acids are deficient in most grains. And ponyo has it in abundance. You know, in addition to being rich in fiber, five times more fiber than brown rice, for instance, rich in iron, and, uh, and, and, and that can go on and on. It's a, it's a low, scores glow on the glycemic index, which is, recommended for people suffering for diabetics or, or, or celiac disease. And uh, it's also, you know, a, a grain that's uh, highly recommended back in, in West Africa for women who are pregnant or children who are, who are at, at, at an early age. You know? so, so it just has many benefits in addition to being delicious and very versatile. You know, you can use fonio and replace it in you can replace any grain in any of your favorite recipes in terms of uh, flour turning it into flour it becomes it becomes bread you can turn it into a salad like i do at the restaurant turning it into a tabbouleh salad with lots of parsley and mint or like i'm doing in uh, presently with the uh, roasted beets and and uh, pickled carrots you can also use it like they do in west africa in a stew you know like usually it's the base for stew like you would use rice, you know, and the stews can vary pretty much with any any kind of sauce. It likes to have sauces in it. So what I did with uh, my company, Yolele Foods, it was just to, to fill that void, you know. I realized that, you know, pretty much there was no way to access certain African ingredients in, in, in the rest of the world. There's, we had to create a, a chain of value, and we started with Fonio. You know, fonio was the first ingredient because that's an ingredient that we saw tick all the boxes. Not only is nutritious, it's great for the environment, it's gluten-free, and but also it cooks in five minutes. It's really like an, an amazing ingredient in that way. It cooks in five minutes. Amazing. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. And so we started three years ago, uh, Yolele Food, we started to distribute it. Right now we're distributing at Whole Foods, we're distributing via Amazon, we distribute in food services. More and more restaurants in the in the United States are using Fonio as the substitute grain. So, yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's an amazing story. And we right now about to start launching different uh, pilafs of Fonio using also African ingredients and spices like using dawa dawa which is a fermented locust bean we use baobab in it for Fonio porridge we have Fonio chips coming up in the market as well it's gluten-free Fonio and cassava chips and they'll come with three different flavors as well yasa dawa dawa and baobab delicious i can't wait to try it i mean i haven't i hope i can find it in the uk um so, so i'm in i'm and pleased you mentioned the, the kind of value chain because you're on the podcast today, which really is about our chef's manifesto point, investing in livelihoods. That's what you've been able to achieve through kind of creating a market, really, for Fonio. Not many chefs have had the opportunity to do that. I'd love to know a little bit about your experience of creating this market and importing a product and how you've managed to inspire people about this grain. 
Well, uh, for me, it was I partnered with the, the right team. You know, my 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 co-founder Philip Tevro is a is also a veteran in the in the food industry, and uh, we this started a collaboration with a company called Woodland Foods. Woodland Foods is like a company based in Chicago, and they they are our distributors. They distribute throughout the United States and again uh, Canada. And what what we studied, you know, what we did for me was to identify cooperatives and phonio producers around West Africa, presently in Senegal, in Mali, in Ghana, and soon in Burkina Faso, and connect them with our distributors. You know, so we would identify the cooperatives and work with those women to have phonio processed in the standards that are required to be able to distribute it in the U.S. or in the rest of the world. And that's, that's pretty much uh, the, the, the story, how it started. It started with a, a, a dream, really. I, I was, uh, you know, walking, traveling around Senegal, working on my last book, and just thought about this as like a, a model of development. I'm like, this grain could be a world-class grain, and this world-class grain could transform the economies of these, these farmers who are the, from the poorest regions in the world. So it was really like this naive dream of like, you know, a, a chef who thought he could change the world. <laughs> and, and, uh, and little did I know that, you know, all the challenges ahead of me, it's like uh, creating a chain of value uh, was going to be not only creating a chain of value, but just starting from, from, from scratch, really, because everything about Fonio, the processing was done mostly manually. So we had to, you know, not only help them and connect them with... Uh, NGOs who could equip them and train them, get the right equipment, and um, and then find the market. Finding the market turned out to be a, a little easier than I than I thought. Being a chef based in New York, you know our community is pretty tight. So introducing the grain to my colleagues here, introducing the grain to uh, different uh, uh, markets and, and, and retailers. Uh, was was something that was great. We had we hired the right the right team to you know we have an amazing uh, director who's uh, named Claire and she's been like just very aggressive in getting those those retailers and those uh, food services to to try for you and to and to just support the cause and support support it because it's just a great grain that cooks fast and that's light because that's very light for you as a grain you you know you you can eat it and just go jog right after that because. It digests very easily. I'd just love you to give us some advice or to tell the, our chef listeners, really, how you think they can support the people behind their food. For my story, it was uh, working directly with the farmers, working directly at, at the source is the best way to support them. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's easier than, than you think, really. Mm-hmm. You know, to, by, by just trying... It's a great experience. It's always a great experience when you go to the source of the food. You know, but you, you, you hear the story of those farmers, you hear their challenges, but you can also have them prepare and process or produce the food the way you want it to be done. And that's, that's, a, that's the, 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 the magic of it. It's like that communication, going, being in connection with the source of the food is what makes it and what inspires you. I would never thought of doing this 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 business if I hadn't been at the source and, and realized that you know, I had like this 
potential gold mine here and 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 that could really be helpful the farmers they just grow the product they just do it but they don't know about the market as much as you do they don't mm -hmm. know about uh, so our community especially chefs we have the opportunity of being at this place today where we are you know opinion makers we are you know we we are we are leaders of like you know we can we can really influence the taste of people with our menus with our books with our you know with our, our messages so we should really take that and 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 use it as a force of change you know positive way especially for the, the the source which is all we depend on you know the source the farmers are really without them there's no chefs there's none of us uh, would be around so we have to really enhance that connection and by by going and, and, and being curious about their challenges and finding solutions this is really what inspired me was finding a solution to the challenges of these people um, in in the Sahel region so the region that has the most, the highest amount of refugees in Africa. And if you create a market for grain like Fonio, people will have a chance to stay because there is reason, there's an economy that's running and all that can happen through food. Pierre, I couldn't agree more. I think as chefs and even home cooks, if we can connect with the origin of our food and that means our suppliers, then we really learn to value it and also to kind of pass on the most value from our pound or dollar or whatever it is to the supplier so thank you so much for coming on the show today it was really inspiring to talk to you and learn more about Fonio. thank you tom it was a pleasure in the next interview i'm talking to chef ali mandri also known as chef ali latiste celebrity chef culinary instructor and food stylist I had the chance to chat with him during last year's Eat Forum in Stockholm about his career as an artistic chef, his passion for educating people in the culinary world and for championing the traditional Kenyan cuisine. My name is Chef Alimandri and I come from Kenya, born and raised in Kenya. And uh, I'm a chef. I do a lot of writing on newspapers. I do a lot of TV. I have a TV show back home and I do a lot of radio. And it's all about delicious recipes and uh, thanks to the Chef's Manifesto. And I've basically just transformed into a really healthy advocate for sustainable food and uh, ingredients. And I've worked very closely with IFAD, which is the International Fund of Agriculture Development and supporting farmers on how they can be able to grow their plants in a very sustainable way and also uh, focus on plant-based ingredients that are really healthy and indigenous. You've brought in a couple of ingredients for us to try today um, and I'd love to know what they are and are you cooking with them today? Um, I would say yes. Um, I actually have turtle beans here. Um, these are basically called njahe in Kenya. They're very delicious and a really staple for the Kikuyu community. Not everyone has it back home, but it's really rich in protein and looks black in color. And uh, I would just cook it with some delicious coconut sauce and just make it a lovely, delicious uh, meal. So there you go. It has a strip of uh, a white strip like, you know, in the middle. And that would definitely make you understand that this is the real turtle bin, also known as jahe. And they're really delicious. But really? again, they are ingredients that probably not everyone would eat 
because they would consider these like, you know, um, this is basically food for the poor people. It is delicious. If uh, it is something that a lot of people do not consume, consume so this means this is a very popular dish and uh, it's very expensive to me rather than a poor dish and they look they look beautiful they're like deep black with the white mm-hmm. line around the side mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and some of them are a little bit purple too what do they yeah. taste like the tastes are very meaty and i would say a, a bit liverish a little and uh, they're just delicious man it's a very good source of protein very rich in protein and uh, we're, we're gonna make a meal today you're gonna taste it it's just gonna be delicious you can make a salad you can make you can make a salad you can make a curry where you're gonna serve with your rice your gali and uh, you can just go crazy with it and it's a lovely source of protein in your body delicious thank you so much for coming today to chat thank you very much and that's all for this episode of the chef's manifesto podcast please help us reach out by sharing our podcast with your friends and colleagues rate us and comment all your interaction helps our community grow you can also find us on instagram please subscribe and join me next time when we'll be looking at zero waste and root to fruit cooking learning how chefs are reducing their food waste around the world Until then, bye for now. There are eight thematic areas. Ingredients grown with respect to the earth. Friendly to oceans. Protection of biodiversity. And improved animal welfare. Investment in livelihoods. Value natural resources. And reduce waste. Waste is recyclable. Waste is unnecessary. Waste is criminal. Celebration of local and seasonal food. A focus on plant-based ingredients. Education on food safety. And healthy diets. Nutritious food that is accessible and affordable to all. Chefs. Politicians. Suppliers. Farmers. Educators. Chefs together can change the world. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved.